Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. One of the great traditions of Christmas is giving gifts, right? That's pretty obvious to all of us. But have you ever wondered, like, where that whole thing came from? Like, why do we give gifts at Christmas? Why is that the thing? Uh, I actually did some research into it, and it, and it traces it back to the New Testament, to a story that we're going to read in a moment. You've probably heard about the wise men giving gifts, right, to Jesus, and they came and brought these gifts or whatever. And so the, the roots of gift giving at Christmas goes all the way back to that. But there's more to it, um, and it actually kind of evolved over the years. It started as gift giving. Uh, the early Christians would give gifts to celebrate. Oh, Jesus came to earth, the wise men gave him gifts. We're going to give gifts to one another in celebration of that, like in the Roman Empire or something like that. But there's actually, uh, over the years, it kind of developed a little weird. So the wise men were, if you think about the wise men, were inferior, in a sense, as far as position and rank and authority. They were inferior to Jesus. So in the Middle Ages, what Christians decided to do was they viewed Christmas as a time when inferior people gave gifts to superior people. So if you can imagine how this goes, if you're like, a lord over lands and you're like a wealthy landowner and all of your like serfs or peasant people or whatever like they all work the land all year and then you're like those people should give me gifts uh, for being just so awesome for them and so it became this this season where there's gift giving i'm like that is insane imagine imagine it's like bob cratchit gives the gifts to scrooge like that's basically the system that was set up and you're like who thought up that system oh i know who thought up that system the wealthy lords they thought up that system they're like this will be awesome all of you poor people give me gifts for christmas so that's how it kind of evolved over the years until the protestant reformation came along and and for whatever reason during that time period they sort of said yeah we're not having that and and it became more about giving gifts especially to children and that caught on uh, 16, 17, 1800s in Europe and eventually caught on in the United States as well that Christmas became a time of gift giving, uh, especially to children, a celebration of Jesus. Um, now that, uh, then, then post-World War II, it, it kind of catches a lot of steam in America in particular and you've got sort of all that Norman Rockwell sort of vibe and you've got a lot of the Santa Claus stuff which was tied to this idea of St. Nicholas which ultimately goes back to Jesus in sort of a tangential way but it became a way for even secular people who don't celebrate Jesus for religious reasons at Christmas, they were able to celebrate as well and they would give, give gifts as well and so that's kind of how we evolved the Christmas thing that we have today which uh, Americans spend about $450 billion a year at Christmas. Now, I don't spend that much myself, but other people apparently do. Uh, no, it, I think it averages out to something like $650 per person for the season between, between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas is how much we spend. So we have um, taken you know, the simple gifts thing and, and maybe uh, uh, this, this idea of, well, we should get something nice for kids and that kind of thing. And, and it's become this sort of extravaganza and this, this spectacularly large thing where we spend an incredible amount of money every year to show our love and to drive the GDP of our country. Um, and we do this. And so last week, uh, I, I, I suggested that 
one way to celebrate Christmas the Jesus-y way and, and to really focus on the reason for the season is to just spend less, to just look at that whole system that we said was in the scriptures is sort of tied to King Herod and look at the whole Herodian system and go, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do all that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from that a little bit um, and, 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 and not, not spend so much. Um, and, and, and that's a good thing to do because the great story of God coming to earth in the form of Jesus and all the Joseph and Mary and, and the wise men and all the things that we talk about at Christmas, that stuff can often get very obscured by the traffic and the sales and, and the shopping and, and the Herodian culture that asks us to, to just keep spending more. And so um, I, I want to, want to uh, step away from that, taking what we talked about last week, spend less, but today I want to talk about the idea that in addition to spending less, we can actually give more. Now that may sound like a contradiction, but I think it's true. And I want to go to the scriptures. Last week we looked at the introduction of uh, uh, King Herod after Jesus was born. Some, some wise men come to King Herod and they ask, they saw this star and they ask, hey, where can I, where can I uh, find this this king that was born in your kingdom. And Herod's like, I have no idea. Why don't you go find him and then come let me know so I can worship him. Really, he wants to kill him. But he, 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 he says this and they go, okay, it's in Bethlehem. So these wise men come to the region uh, and then they, they leave Herod's presence and they go off looking for uh, Jesus. Let me pick it up there. Uh, Matthew chapter two, verse nine, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the story of Christmas. This is, this is what's, what really happened that we celebrate, the Christ Mass, the thing that we celebrate this season. This is it. It's not Frosty. It's not Santa Claus. It's not all of those things. Um, this is it. So how do, we, how do we make this meaningful? Well, I think we have to sort of enter the story and understand what was going on and, and see kind of where we can fit in there and, and what we can relate to. So for this, there's this group of Magi, these, these wise men, it says, who come from the east. Now, there's this talk about a star. So there's this celestial event that they see. They're, they're out in the fields, and they maybe see the star. Um, they're from the east, so I guess they're looking to the west, and they see this star, and they go, okay, that's unusual. And they head out, walk towards it, and they go there to see um, what that must be a sign of something. Now, for us, that's a little weird. If we saw an unusual star in the sky, we would not think that a king has been born or anything like that. We'd probably think it's a UFO, or something like that, and we're going to get stuck into the tractor beam and whatever, and that's fine. Um, but that's different, right? In the ancient world, when they saw this unusual star, they, they thought, okay, something's going on here. And there's actually some precedent for that. So this takes place in about 5 BC. If you back up a bunch of years before that, and around the year 44 BC, Julius Caesar dies. Now, you may have heard of Julius Caesar. I think Shakespeare wrote a play about him. Julius Caesar, kind of famous of the Caesars. He's one of the big ones, right? So Julius Caesar dies, and an unusual thing happens when he dies. When he dies, this, this comet goes across the sky. And so people see that, and they go, oh, there's a comet. In the sky. There's this star, kind of like the shooting star kind of thing. 
um, when Caesar dies. And, and they interpret that to mean that that is a sign that Caesar is God. He's, you know, ascended to the gods, that kind of thing. So here we have Caesar and his death. Now he's God, okay? So it's kind of a big deal. Caesar's God. His son becomes uh, the emperor of Rome, Octavian. He takes the name Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is mentioned in Luke chapter 2 as the Caesar who's in charge when Jesus is born. So if we go over to the account in Luke, you see Caesar Augustus is there, Quirinius is governor of Syria. You kind of date the two of those things when there was an overlap of Quirinius, governor of Syria, Caesar Augustus, you get about to the year 5 BC. Caesar Augustus, because his dad was now called God, takes the title for himself, guess, son of God. Fantastic. So you have God through the star in the sky, and then when Jesus is born, you have someone in Rome who claims to be the son of God, and it's almost as if God looks at that whole situation and is like, okay, okay, stop, you guys, stop. I'll show you, and then he shows up, the son of God shows up under a star. And people were, people were in tune with that kind of thing. They're looking at the sky, especially these these wise men, and they go, they go, okay, something's going on. There's something really significant happening. And so they go looking. And I don't want us to miss the significance of this. This is the God of the universe showing up in the flesh. This is the incarnation. Um, and this has been in place for a long time, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And they, they, there's this separation between God and man. And there's, there's, there's a holy God and there's sinful man and there's, and there's this gap between us. And ever since that time, God has been working the plan to get ready, to, to make things ready for Jesus to come and bring us back into relationship with God and bring back a, a unity between us and, and God. Um, and and th- this is the right moment for that to happen. Now, why is this the right moment? Like if God had done this today, he could easily, you know, the word could have spread very quickly because of Twitter, or something, you know, like they're, they're, today would have been a fine time for Jesus to come, right? Because you could get the word out quickly. But if you think about the ancient world, um, the Roman Empire was a really big deal. And by the time it was an empire, when, when this is going on, um, there's several things in place. They've built roads everywhere. So travel is easier than it has ever been in the history of the world to get around the empire. In addition to that, they've importantly unified the whole region um, under one language. So people are speaking Greek, so people can communicate much easier. They can travel much easier. And this is in a period of time you read about in history called the Pax Romana, which is a Roman period of peace where there are no wars. So people are not there's not a bunch of fighting going on. There's relative peace. It's easy to, to spread the news of things on the roads, and the language barrier is, is lessened. And so if you think about that in, in history, this is a great time for this to happen. In fact, this is why Paul says, years later, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, he writes about this. In Galatians chapter 4, he says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I love that adoption is central to the gospel. It's central to who we are in Christ. We are adopted into the family. But I also love that phrase in there, when the fullness of time had come, when, when the time was just right, Jesus shows up. In, in this period of peace, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the center of the world where there's 
uh, unified language and, 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 and roads to travel, Jesus shows up, and the word is, and, and the news about him is able to spread very quickly. So these wise men, they see this star, they travel to Jesus, and, and what a scene it is when, when they get there. Um, he, he, he's, it's taken them a while to get there. This isn't like six-pound baby Jesus. This is like maybe two-year-old Jesus, you know, so they, they show up there, um, and, and they have this interesting reaction. Um, it says they're basically like they have exceeding joy, like they're, they're thrilled when they realize, okay, what, what they've arrived at and, and who this king child is. And, it, and, and they walk in and they bow down and they, and they worship him. How weird is that for Joseph and Mary? That, that strangers want to come to your house and they're like, hey, can we worship your kid? Like, I like my kid. Every parent likes their kid. But that's excessive, isn't it? Just a little, a little much, you know? But they, they show up and they're like, we're going to worship your kid. And you know, was Mary like, no, stop it. And they're like, we have gold. And she's like, all right, come on in. Uh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Leave that, that'll be fine, you know. No, but so they bow down to worship and they give gifts. And, and lots of scholars have pointed this out. These gifts have meaning. To us, it, it's weird. It's gold, frankincense, myrrh. Like, okay, what, what is that? I mean, you're a kid, you, you only associate that with like Frankenstein, right? That's the only Franken you have reference for. So you're like, what is this thing? What are they doing? There's meaning to it. Um, gold is a gift that you would give for a king. And everybody can see how gold is useful. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were like, cool on the gold, thank you. Uh, that's great. But it, it's a gift that symbolizes that this one that we are worshiping is a king. This is a gift fit for a king. I'm bringing gold. And so that one's maybe uh, fairly obvious. The frankincense is, is incense, um, which we know is like, smelly sticks of, you know, that you light or whatever, you know, and it, it's not like they walked in, they're like, yo, Joseph and Mary, it smells in here, like, here, these smell like cinnamon buns, like, try this, like, it's not exactly that, the, the use of incense in that culture is for priests to use in the temple, um, it is, the, it represents the prayers of the saints flowing up to God, so you'd light incense and that smell, the aroma of that, it's supposed to be this multi-sensory worship thing, and it, and it is the prayers of people, and it and it is, uh, it is really something priests would use. So in giving this child a gift of gold, you're saying he's a king. In giving, them a gift, giving the child a gift of incense, you're saying he's a priest. Which These are all titles that Jesus takes later. These are all ways that Jesus talked about, especially in the book of Hebrews. You read through that, it goes through all of these. So he's a king, he's a priest. But wait, there's myrrh. We have to address the... Couldn't, I couldn't help it. I couldn't. I, I, I want, I, it was there... It was hang, and I, uh, this, this gift, uh, myrrh, hey, if you're going to be a dad, you got to do the jokes too. Um, all right, so th- this gift of myrrh, that's a super weird one, because if you can say gold is king and, and incense is, is, uh, is a priest, myrrh is, is basically an embalming fluid. It's what you give for someone who's dying. And I, you know, how weird does that gift land on Joseph and Mary? They're like... Couldn't you have got him like some play blocks or something or like a mobile or something like myrrh? Like, what's the deal? I mean, so you're saying he's a king. You're saying he's a priest. You're saying he's going to die? Well, yeah. And, and that's what he does 33 years later for our sins on the cross. Um, 
And so there's, there's a lot going on just in the gifts that they gave. And, and we celebrate this. This is one of the things we try to do right at Christmas. We celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. Just like we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus by giving gifts. It's a, it's a good idea. Let's, hey, uh, Jesus is born. Let's give a gift. But we can, we can still kind of miss it, right? Like, Jesus is born. Yay, here's an iPod. I don't, like... Here's an iPhone, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, all these the trinkets that we buy and, and give. Like, I don't know if it quite lands the same way um, when we give gifts in kind of our modern era as it did in the ancient world. And, and I, think, I think maybe from time to time we're, we're kind of missing um, that. Because if you think about the wise men, they didn't just give things that cost money. They gave other things, right? They gave their time. Like, this was a long journey. It took time. Scholars estimate this is a multi-year process for them. So they had to give up. They had to take time off work. Whatever wise men do those back in that day. You know, they're out philosophizing, being wise, whatever, and they have to, like, go. So they, it's an investment of, of their money, their energy, their time to go do the thing, to go see Jesus. So it's not just a physical gift. It's, it's time. Um, it, they can't just text in congratulations. You can't fax in love. You can't, do, you can't email it. You can't do anything from a distance. You, sometimes you just got to show up. And so they, they showed up, and they showed their love and care and their worship um, in, 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 per, in person. So our, our, uh, the, way we, the way we look at Christmas this year, the series we're doing, Christmas Presents, we, we, we talked about that we need to worship fully. We talked about that in uh, Thanksgiving weekend. That to really enter this, this story, we need, to, we need to go all in and, and, and be about Jesus in this season and, and worship him. And then we said last week, um, let's spend less. Um, and the challenge of that is, you know, I have kids, and if, and if you have children or you have friends and loved ones, you know, you go like, well, but wait, if I spend less, I'm not going to get the things for them, and they like to have the things, and, and there's that whole dynamic and all that pressure around it, Right? Um, and, and I understand that, the concern. What if, what if spending less means we're all going to get less, and is that going to be a, a bad thing? Um, I, I do think we can give more. I, I, I would just give you some suggestions on how we could give maybe in a different way. Uh, number one is this. Uh, we can do this. Make a gift for people that you love. Make a gift for people that you love. Um, there's... There's something valuable about making something that's different than I bought it off a shelf and just wrapped it and handed it to you, and that's not always bad or wrong or anything, but there's something to, I put love and thought and care, and I, I crafted this thing. If you think about ornaments that are on your Christmas tree, I know this, this happens in our house too. You've got ornaments on the tree, and some of them you just buy in a store, and it's a gold ball, and it's a whatever, like you got that stuff, and then some of them over the years somebody gave to you. Oh, that, this person gave us that. And then you have, like, that little piece of cotton ball that's hanging there uh, that your kid made as a craft of a sheep when they were, like, three. And at this point, it's basically a cotton ball and a, and a hanger, right? Um, it's not the greatest thing on the tree, but it kind of is to you, right? You're just like, oh, remember when they made the sheep and now it's a cotton ball? <laughs> like, I remember it, like... There's value there, and it's not because it's so well done and it's so amazing. The value's there is because they did it, 
And you love that, right? You, you love that. There, there's, there's something about I did something for you and I put time and care and effort and, and maybe money, but yes, but, but there's all this that goes into it and that's very powerful. Now, if you're like me and you have close to zero artistic ability to make things, you know, like if I, if I drew a picture for my kids, I mean, I, I, it would look like, you know, a five-year-old drew it. Like, I, I'm, I'm at the stick figure level of drawing or something like that. So, you know, that's not, that's not amazing. Um, but I, I think a gift can be meaningful even if it's not this amazing work of art. Um, there is tremendous value in the thought. I know this is where people go, well, it's the thought that counts. And it's like, sometimes that's said very dismissively, but there's something to that. There is something to how much thought you put in to get the right thing and to maybe make the right thing, to put something together. So that is a way that we, we can give, and, and maybe we could spend less in doing that. We could give a gift that, that, we've, that we've made. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a Scrooge. I'm not trying to ruin Christmas at everybody's house. Um, I'm just trying to think of ways that we can do this, that we could spend less and still in a sense, give more. A second way we can do that is to give of our time. Give of our time. We, we tend to think of gift giving, or we tend to think of giving in terms of gifts. Okay, I'm going to give you something. Here's a thing. But if anyone's ever done, like, love languages, you know that the way people receive love is not necessarily through gift giving. Some people, that is their jam. But for other people, they just want you to be there. They want you to listen. They want you to sit on the sofa and talk. They want you to share a cup of hot chocolate by the fire and just have a conversation. For some people, that is a great gift that we could give. Maybe what we could do in the next couple weeks is go like, hey, who's somebody I need to just sit with and listen to and have a conversation with and and talk and connect? Um, That can be a really powerful way to show to show love at christmas we can invest our time take a take a carriage ride with with kids uh get get a friend and get together over coffee um this is a way we can invest time with people and and make it special without going crazy spending a, a bunch of money and a third way that we can give more at christmas um, i think is to give money or use money in different ways and to give to different things so at this church since 2008, we have uh, done something every Advent season. We've kind of really uh, focused on the Advent season, not Christmas as one day, but just kind of this whole time period. And we have said that a way to make it about Jesus is to get something special and give money towards something special for Jesus that is not the typical gifts of stuff, right? Um, and so over the years, um, the first year we, we did this, we, we ended up uh, pooling our money here at, at the church and giving, and we, we got uh, clean water for some schools in a village in, in a rural part of Vietnam, um, clean drinking water. And so over the years, we've done some projects in Haiti, um, in Turkey, and then we've also done projects here uh, around our city, around foster care, we, uh, about affordable housing, around food scarcity. We've done some different projects. Um, and this year, uh, when we were looking at the possibilities of what we could do, do we do something globally? Do we do something um, in, in the Mid-Atlantic, in Richmond? Um, we came across a, a possibility that we, that we decided to partner with. There's an organization called RIP Medical Debt, 
Um, and the way they, the way they work, and, and, and the reason I got connected to them is um, I have family members who are in ministry as well around the country, and one of them I talked to, and their, their church had done this a couple of years ago, and when they did it, I was like, that's really fantastic. And so I reached out to them this year and said, how did that work? How do you do it? Um, basically, what we're asking is that you give to this special Advent offering. Um, in, in December, we asked for a, a gift above what our normal giving is to the church, and let's pool our money, because my money by itself doesn't go very far, but all of us together, we pool our money for the month of December, we give to the special offering, and then um, in this case, we're going to give it towards this organization. How it works is that um, RIP Medical Debt as an organization purchases medical debt, um, sort of at a pennies on the dollar kind of thing, for people who are, um, their focus is on people who are the poorest of the poor in our country, well below the poverty line, who are basically way underwater on medical debt. Um, we thought in, in light of COVID and all the medical things that have been kind of swirling around over the last couple of years, uh, a lot of people are, are struggling, and this would be a way we could help. So they purchase medical debt, and then we give money, and then they use that money, pay off the debt, and then they send, they send families letters and say, your medical debt has been paid for, in our case, they would say, by Area 10 Church in Richmond, Virginia. So um, the really cool thing about it is, uh, you know how sometimes people do like, oh, it's a matching fund. If you give a dollar, then someone else will give a dollar. And then you start, sort of think like, well, every dollar I give is actually $2. Like, that's really cool. Um, the way RIP medical debt works is... Um, that it is roughly $100 for every dollar we give um, the, the, with our purchasing power and the way it works. Um, now, there's some fees and stuff associated with all that that you work through, but generally, that's the way it works. So, for example, if we as a church raised $30,000, um, we would pay off $3 million of medical debt in, 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 the, in the area. Um, that's really cool. Uh, I think the possibilities there are fantastic. Um, and, and, and so we're going for it this month. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to ask you to give towards this. You can do it through our website. There's a giving tab. There's a drop down for the, for the Advent offering. You can give towards that. And let's see what we get. Let's see what we can do. I asked them. Uh, they can't always guarantee. I, I was like, can you just do it in Richmond? They're like, no, we can't guarantee that. It's, it, it's about when we get it and what we, what we can get. I asked them to shoot for the Mid-Atlantic first and then kind of go out from there. So we'll see. Our plan is to collect money in December, give it to them in January. They'll disperse it, and then they'll send us a whole report of where it all went. So by, by the end of January, early February, we can say this is where this went and this is how it went. Um, I think it's an incredible opportunity that we have to uh, give Jesus a present for, for Christmas and, and really uh, love people who, who are, are in need. Um, now, I want to challenge you to do that and be a part of that. I, I don't want you to like go into debt for it because that's kind of missing the point, right? Um, but I, I want you to think about how, how could I spend less and still give and be generous here? And I was thinking about the end of this story that doesn't really make it into the Bible, but if you think about uh, the wise men, they, they visit Jesus, they worship, they give the gifts, and then they leave, um, now, they're going to go home, right? It said they didn't go back to Herod. They just went on their way. So they're going to go home. And imagine what that journey is like. They've just spent a long time, years, going after this star, seeing this, they, they see this small child, they give gifts, they worship, maybe they hang out a little bit, 
and then they leave. And then they ride home, and I imagine that this group of wise men, they're kind of hanging out, and, you know, they're like on camels, you know, and they're like going east, they're, they're heading back out there, and um, maybe sometime late at night, they're riding along, and it's like there's no trees, it's kind of deserty, and, um, and they're riding along, and it's smelly, you know, like camels and sweaty dudes, and and maybe one of them's like, man, I wish we still had that incense because y'all stink, you know, like it would be better if we, or maybe one of them's like, you know, if we had just kept that gold, we could get a lot more food right now. We could have had, we could have been eating good on this trip home. I mean, maybe it could have been like that. But my guess is that while they're riding back from this journey, one of them looked at the other one and said, can you believe we got to do that? Can you believe we got to see the king? Can you believe we got to see God show up on earth like we were there? Man, it was worth it. That was incredible. You see, that's the way it is when you generously give. Like, there are things you buy that you regret, right? You have things hanging up in your closet right now that were a bad idea, right? You have, you have regretful purchases. You go, oh, I thought that was gonna be amazing, it was just okay. Oh, I wish I hadn't got, that. oh, that was a waste of money. But I, I don't think you have regretful generosity. I don't think you're like, I shouldn't have given to help people retire medical debt. What a terrible idea that was. Oh, I shouldn't have helped I shouldn't have helped those kids. Oh, I, I shouldn't have given to help make clean water for that village in Vietnam. That was a terrible idea. Like, you don't have those kind of regrets. We don't, we regret purchases, right? We don't regret generosity. And I, and I think that's the way it, it can be for us. If we will worship fully and we spend less, but we actually give more and we love, uh, if we do that in, in this season, um, I, I don't think we'll regret what we've done. And I think this could be the best Christmas we've had. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, I thank you for um, the trail that the wise men blazed and that it was recorded for us and that we can learn from it. God, I pray that we enter into this story, that we don't make Christmas about parties and cookies and all the things. Um, yeah, we want to feast and celebrate and enjoy the season, but that our hearts are aligned, that, that, we, that we, are, we are dialed into what this is about, that you came to earth to bridge the gap between us and you, and you, and you made a way for us to be in eternity with you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for him coming to earth. We love him as the little baby Jesus or the little toddler Jesus, but we, we, we need him as, as the, the, the man Jesus who died for our sins. And we thank you for that, that you, you gave us not only what we want, but actually what we need. And I pray uh, today as we think about uh, this season, I pray that you move in all of our hearts that we can do something to make a difference for um, people in need in the Mid-Atlantic and beyond who, who are struggling under a lot of debt 
and um, who medical bills have really put them in a hard spot. I pray that you are able to multiply what we give and, and make something great out of it. Uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.